It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 233 for March 13th, 2010, recorded March 11th. And as Pogo said, look, Friday the 13th came on a Sunday this month. Electronic scrapbooking certainly isn't new, but in the early days it wasn't easy. Using programs such as Photoshop or PaintShop Pro, scrapbookers manually composited each page and then submitted the pages to a service that made the book. Now you can find online services that store your photos, provide ready-made templates in various sizes, allow you to position, size, and rotate photographs, provide graphics that can be added to the layouts you create from scratch or to templates, give you the ability to add, change, or move pages, let you share the books online, and, of course, print them. Because of Groupon, I was able to get a good deal on some work from Mixbook.com and decided to try it out. But before I could even use my Groupon discount, Mixbook sent a new customer offer that allowed me to get two books for the price of one. Well, I decided to go cheap and just give them a quick test. The smallest books are the size of a standard snapshot photo, 4 by 6 inches, and they cost 7 bucks, 20 pages in each. That seemed like a really good way to test the service so I wouldn't waste my Groupon purchase on tests. One of our cats had recently died, and I decided to put together a little memorial booklet about him for both daughters. One brought him home, and when she moved out, he adopted the other. So, on the TechBiter Worldwide website, you'll see a two-page spread in the book. Tabs on the left of the screen control whether I see photos, layouts, backgrounds, or stickers. Stickers are graphic elements that can be added anywhere on the page, or even across pages. Photos with a check mark have been used in the layout. Along the bottom of the screen, Mixbook shows the pages so that I can quickly jump from one to another. Every element, every element on the page is editable. You'll see on the TechBiter website that I have selected a photograph and the modification toolbar is active. I can rotate elements, size them, crop them, add other effects to them. And by every element, I mean every element, everything you see. Each element of the background, each element in the foreground, all of the accents, everything can be moved, changed, or deleted individually. And you can add things as many as you want. Text also can be moved, sized, and have some effects added to it. In addition, you have a choice of several typefaces and lots of colors. You can place a sticker so that it spans the page gutter. The process, in fact, is so easy that you may not need to take the guided tour that shows how Mixbook works. After placing your order, you might notice a typo. Uh Uh-oh. Well, in my case, I spotted a comma that wasn't needed and one word that should have been capitalized in a title, and it wasn't. Find your errors and correct them within two hours of placing the order, and the corrections will automatically be included in the order. After two hours, the job heads for the press, and there's no longer any way to make changes or cancel the order. Now, that's two hours after you actually submit the order. You can take days, if you want, to create a book, but once you've told Mixbook to print it, from that point, you have two hours. 
Proofreading is actually made easier by a very nice Mixbook feature. One view shows all of the text from every page in easy-to-read black text on a white background. You could even copy the text from the website and paste it into a word processor if you like, and then you can use the spelling checker there. The books I ordered are reasonably priced, $7 for a 4x6 20-page softcover book. Mixbook also has hardcover books in a variety of sizes, and some of those books can have up to 100 pages. Combined shipping and handling fees are a little high for individual books, so you might try to combine orders where you can. Check out the Checkbiter Worldwide website. You'll see an example of the book, the entire book. You can click a play button, and it will step you through the book page by page. The books arrived less than a week after I ordered them, and I'm really quite pleased by the result, and so are my daughters. The bottom line, five cats. Making a picture book has never been easier. If you have digital pictures on your computer, creating a book from them is a snap with Mixbook. Drag and drop the images, the stickers, and the backgrounds. Move, rotate, and scale anything on the page. Add various effects if you wish. Click to add text. Select typefaces, sizes, colors, and you're done. The only reason Mixbook doesn't get six cats is that, well, five cats is the highest rating I can bestow. For more information, visit the Mixbook website. You'll find a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. If you've ever tried to create 3D effects, you probably think it's difficult to do, unless you've seen Zara 3D Maker version 6. Now, though, Zara has released version 7, and although it continues to be easy to use, it offers several new features that you might expect from an application that costs several times what Zara 3D Maker 7 does. I've written about other Zara applications, and you probably know the company's history if you've been a TechBiter fan for more than a few years. How the company worked with Corel for a few years only to see Corel borrow program features without promoting the company's base application. When the agreement ended, Zara continued to develop the fastest graphic application on the planet, a new version of Zara's flagship application will probably ship this year, but you should probably watch for Zara Web Designer 7 to ship first. And as usual, the new version of Zara 3D Maker leads the pack. A new scroll animation type allows users to scroll text vertically and horizontally in addition to forward and back. Zara promotes these as being perfect for movie and video opening titles and closing credits because Zara 3D Maker can export the file as an AVI, and that makes it compatible with most video applications. Zara 3D Maker 7 can export animations with a transparent background in CFX format. These files can be imported into Magic's slideshow and movie editing software and other applications. A new View Options panel gives additional control over vertical and horizontal position of an image against its background, and it allows the user to change the angle of rotation and viewpoint of a 3D object. There's also a new wireframe mode that can be used to see each object's control points and speed the process of animation. On the TechBiter Worldwide website, you'll see Zara 3D Maker 7 in action. I created some text and selected colors for the text, text faces, text sides, background, light 1, light 2, and light 3. As you'll see when you take a look at the image, 
As you'll see when you visit the TechBiter Worldwide website, there are lots of panels that cover features such as extrusion, design, bevel, shadow, texture, and view options. For an application that is so easy to use and so inexpensive, the options and controls provided are truly remarkable. For my next step, I laid in a background that looks like a brick wall, and then I selected an option that displays the three lights so that I can see where they are, both color and position. And I used those markers to move the lights around as I lit the scene. Next, I decided that I preferred outline letters to solid letters and set the controls for the bevel options on the letters. And you'll see the result on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Zara also has a quick demo that shows some of the application's basic features. I provide a link to that. And if you're at all interested, I recommend you take a few minutes to watch it. The bottom line, uh, Zara hardly ever earns less than five cats. Five cats. 3D is supposed to be hard. Zara makes it easy. Even if Zara 3D Maker sold for several times the $40, that is its full retail price, it would be a bargain. The application combines uncommon ease of use with power. For more information, check out the Zara website. You'll find a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. If you are one of those people who waits for Microsoft to ship the first service pack before you upgrade to a new operating system, you just lost your reason for procrastination. SP1 was released this week, and if you're a Windows 7 user, you should plan on installing the update sooner rather than later. By default, it is not currently installed by the Windows update process. You have to select it for yourself. Service Pack 1 for Windows 7 and Windows Server 2008 R2 includes previously released updates and improved system performance. The primary improvements come from tightening the virtualization and the virtual desktop infrastructure. Memory management has been improved, too, by the addition of dynamic memory functionality. According to Microsoft, these are the primary improvements provided by Service Pack 1 for Windows 7 users. There is additional support for communication with third-party federation services. Additional support has been added to allow Windows 7 clients to effectively communicate with third-party identity federation services, those supporting the WS Federation Passive Profile Protocol. Does that all sound like Greek? Well, this change enhances platform interoperability. It also improves the ability to communicate identity and authentication information between organizations. Not a big deal for home users. There is improved HDMI audio device performance. A small percentage of users had reported issues in which connection between computers running Windows 7 and HDMI audio devices can be lost after system reboots. Updates have been incorporated into Service Pack 1, and these updates ensure that connections between Windows 7 computers and HDMI audio devices are consistently maintained. Microsoft has corrected the behavior when printing mixed-orientation XPS documents. Prior to the release of SP1, some customers reported difficulty when printing mixed-orientation XPS documents. These are documents that contain some portrait pages and some landscape pages. The problem occurred when they used the XPS viewer, and all pages printed either portrait or landscape instead of mixed. The issue was addressed in SP1, allowing users to correctly print mixed-orientation documents using the XPS viewer. The behavior of the Restore Previous Folders at Logon functionality has been changed. SP1 modifies the behavior of that function that's available in the Folder Options Explorer dialog. 
Prior to SP-1, previous folders would be restored in a cascaded position based on the location of the most recently active folder. That behavior changes in SP-1 so that all folders are restored to their previous positions. And that, of course, is what most people would expect. Many of the other enhancements involve security, and you can read about those on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The update is available in three formats, either as a DVD, which is intended primarily for new installations and upgrades from Vista, as a Windows update function. The download is about 74 megabytes for Windows 7, about 96 megabytes for Windows Server 2008. Additional files may be downloaded during the upgrade. And there is the standalone version, which is what most system administrators will download. That's because it includes the entire package and can be run from a network location or burned to a DVD. The download is about 903 megabytes. For additional information about other aspects of the release, I've provided some links to the Microsoft website, one for hotfix and security updates in the Windows 7 and Windows 2008 service pack, and another that is called Notable Changes in Service Pack 1 for Windows 7 and Windows Server 2008. So if you're interested, check those out. In short circuits, would you trust an ugly website? I was referred to a blog post this week that discussed a study that, according to the blogger, offered proof that 70% of people don't trust badly designed websites. Now, as much as I favor good design, I had to question the study reported in the blog post. I followed the link back to the study and found that it was reported on a PR news service. And isn't PR news service a mutually exclusive term? Well, anyway, the study was conducted on behalf of a company that sells website design tools. The study may be entirely legitimate and above board, but any time the sponsor of the survey, in this case a company called Basekit, Whenever a company has a financial interest in the outcome of the study, I tend to look for corroborating independent studies. And although I like and respect graphic designers, my younger daughter, after all, is one, some designers create beautiful, useless sites. For example, any site with a Flash entry page or a site that is entirely Flash. I don't like entry pages because the entry page is a barrier. And sites that are entirely Flash... Search engines can't see them. Sites such as these can be beautiful, but ultimately not very useful. Common sense would suggest that an attractive site will generally do better than an ugly site. But I've sometimes purchased products from hideously ugly sites because what I wanted to purchase was available from there. The study was carried out by an organization called OnePoll. OnePoll, according to its website, is, and I quote, a creative mix of professional researchers, trained journalists, public relations professionals, and marketing experts. And I find it a little troubling that researchers and journalists are jumbled together with the PR and marketing folks. Hitachi purchased IBM's disk drive manufacturing facility in 2003, and now that business unit is about to be acquired by Western Digital. Specifically, Western Digital is purchasing Hitachi Global Storage Technologies, the U.S. branch of the Japanese company, for $4.3 billion in cash and stock. That leaves Seagate Mac Store and Western Digital Hitachi as the big dogs on the block with other manufacturers such as Fuji, Samsung, and Toshiba. At one time, approximately 200 companies manufactured disk drives. Think about that. 
200 companies. The combined Western Digital Hitachi will have nearly 50% of the market at a time when demand for standard hard drives is waning. Solid-state drives that are faster and not subject to failure induced by vibration or shock have continued to drop in price and are increasingly being used in portable computers. Seagate has about a 29% share of the market. If you run a 64-bit version of Windows, you may have been annoyed in the past to find that the media player under a 64-bit system doesn't really play videos. If you want to watch a video, you need to drop back to the 32-bit version. Well, some good news for you. Internet Explorer 9's media player will be able to play videos on a 64-bit system. Probably. I say probably because we're dealing with beta software here actually release candidate software, but things have disappeared between release candidate and full release version in the past. So take this with a small grain of salt. Actually, it's a two-piece grain of salt. Most online videos use the Adobe Flash Player, and Adobe has released a 64-bit version of that. According to Adobe, the Flash Player 10.2 is now available, including enhanced support for Internet Explorer 9 introduced in Flash Player Square. You can download a preview release of the Flash Player that includes optimized support for Internet Explorer 9 beta, both 32-bit and 64-bit, from Adobe Labs. And you'll find a link to Adobe Labs from the TechBiter Worldwide website. I have downloaded the 64-bit Flash Player preview, and I can confirm that it does work in IE9 64-bit. There's also a player plug-in for other browsers, but I haven't confirmed that it works. For videos that run using Microsoft's Windows Media Player, both 32- and 64-bit versions are available in Windows 7, but the 32-bit version loads by default. Why? I don't know. If you'd like to change that so the 64-bit version loads as the default, you'll find Microsoft's explanation on the TechBiter Worldwide website, and it does involve a registry edit. If you choose to make the registry change, be sure to back up the registry first, and if you don't know how to do that, Microsoft offers instructions, and I provide a link to those instructions, too. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.